Welcome, welcome. We are back with another edition of The Lock-In. We have a very special guest this week. He is one of the winningest players in the history of online poker. Brian Paris, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to have you on, Brian. We're delighted to have you for this uh, sort of pre-election special. We will come to some of that uh, a little bit later on, but we thought you were exactly the man for this. Uh, Dara, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Um, I'm looking forward to this, to talking to Brian about a variety of things. But I actually, I know you have your list of questions there, Dave, but I got one specifically today from uh, Discord, from some of Brian's many fans. Oh, and I was asked to ask, how do you feel about your cult fan club, The Baby Squad? Are you happy about it or sad about it? <laughs> I love it. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> what is that? I, I, I didn't know about this. It's, it's an inside joke that would take way too long to explain, but it's a group of very dedicated Twitch fans in my Discord. They do great work. Very good, very good. Okay, well, look, our first topic this week is going to be VPNs. I did watch The Orbit. I have to say fair play to Robbie Straczynski and co. I was on that show uh, about a month ago, and they put out a very uh, impressive lineup uh, with uh, Daniel Negreanu and... Uh, Phil Galfond and Rob Young and Alex Scott uh, a couple of weeks ago. And one of the topics that came up in that, and I thought it was worth using as a jumping off point, was the idea of VPNs. Negreanu just very categorically said, I don't give a fuck if you use them or not. I just He, he just doesn't really care, um, which is obviously a bit strange. So I'm going to quickly give a run through because maybe some of our audience don't know what a VPN is. Uh, I assume most of you do, but just in case... Uh, a VPN is a virtual private network. It's a tool that enables you to mask your internet protocol, uh, IP address, giving you online privacy and anonymity. Um, on the orbit, Negranu specifically said, I don't give a crap whether people use this or not. He elaborated basically saying that it just doesn't make sense to him to spend a lot of resources policing this type of thing when really, as cheaters go, it's like the lowest form. Or maybe if you have a particular principal position on this maybe it's not cheating at all even and I think that's worth discussing first of all Dara is Daniel right not to care about this I, I I certainly have a lot of sympathy for his position I think it's one of those things where poker players sort of I mean there's things which are clearly wrong like stealing cheating multi-accounting etc etc and then there's other things which are really just local to different places um if you know you it, it can't be immoral to play poker because we're all playing it uh, so we can't possibly think it's immoral to play poker now if you live in a country where it's not allowed that makes it illegal but does it make it immoral i don't think it necessarily does um, i mean I'm, i remember back in the day when i was working for example um i worked a lot in the uh, in the gulf states and one of the things that we used to do for um, some of the the, the, the the visiting Muslims when they came to Ireland was facilitate them to, to allow them to drink such surreptitiously. Now, I don't think we felt we were doing anything wrong, even though it was obviously against the, 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 the code that they were supposed to live by. I, I feel it's kind of the same for VPNs. I mean, if you think there's nothing wrong with playing online poker, then you're going to feel sympathetic for somebody who lives in a country where they're not allowed. There are other issues because often it means that the player has to disguise their identity because people know they're in whatever country and then that couldn't possibly give them a, an unfair advantage it's not it's not exactly multi-accounting but it's uh, it's kind of on the spectrum that's maybe where the issue comes in but i but yeah i i, I would tend to agree with dan it's by far the least uh, concerning thing i think the only reason why the sites take it seriously at all is they can get in trouble with regulators if it turns out that they are allowing a lot of people in a particular country 
where it's not allowed to, to to flout the rules. But I think if it was left up to the sites, they simply wouldn't care. Yeah, that is certainly true. God, I, I feel like we're dangerously close to agreeing with them for the first time in a long time. But uh, anyway, the, the highest profile VPN case that I could think of, and I was doing my, my best in my head, was Gordon Vio, the 700K. It was either a W Cooper or a Scoop score. Um, he was playing on a VPN in the US while pretending to be in Canada. What ensued was almost farcical um, fraudulent documents uh, that the person who adopted them for him ended up turning on him and everything got a bit silly and I think he actually got countersued in the end although I think that may finally have got dropped um, but, but Brian I, I want to get you in on this one does this rule just punish people or does it just push people really towards black markets and the unregulated sort of part of our industry is something we've been raising as a big issue you know obviously there's a lot of app poker there's a lot of poker on sites that don't really act as good actors in in the industry you could argue they're not even in the industry at all and having money go that direction is problematic for us in the long run uh yeah i think i think that i mostly agree with dara here and that um i'm pretty sympathetic towards people who have to use them i don't as long as my, the key for me is that it's more of an even playing field so if it's sort of tacitly understood that everyone can use one that's one thing, you know, if nobody's allowed to use them and then like one person goes out of their way to use it, that might be something different. But I do think I agree with your point about black markets as well. If you ban VPNs, people are just going to have to go underground. They'll get multi-accounts, you know, they'll find other ways. I'll remotely control a computer with like somebody else's account. And I think we should encourage people to play on their own account as much as possible. So you know, that we know who we're playing against. So I think it's a sort of situation where ideally the equilibrium would be every site sort of tacitly allows it. But of course the sites are obligated to take action against it. I think stars more so than most because stars, uh, you know, they, they got Black Friday, they had to make certain agreements with the DOJ. So I, I believe that they are uh, a little bit more obligated to be on top of those, especially US players, VPNing. But, um, you know, GG doesn't really have to care and other, other sites don't necessarily have to care. So I, I think it would be ideal if uh, we sort of had a tacit agreement that everyone could use them. But the key is just making sure that we all have an understanding of what's going on and that there's sort of like a level playing field, I think. It's a very sensible approach. Now, I, at this point, I do my little uh, cover us legally, Dara. I'm just going to throw this in. Uh, it is important to note that Daniel is a GG Poker Pro, and it's worth mentioning that GG Poker are the only site to explicitly mention VPNs in their terms and conditions under Section 15 of GG Poker Security and Ecology Agreement. It very clearly states GG Poker strictly prohibits users located in prohibited jurisdictions to use VPN or proxies, uh, remote desktops, or any alternative methods to mask their true location. Should we determine that users are accessing GG from prohibited countries, we may restrict their use of VPN proxy or suspend their accounts and request for proof of presence. Well, I assume just given what's been happening recently, that's only if they're a winning player anyway, so we're fine. <laughs> um, I mean, you said you said GG, but you, are you saying the other sites have no specific mention of VPN in their terms and services? I don't think they use the phrase VPN, but okay. I think it is implied okay. within yeah. most of the other users. I just, I just thought that was a little fun fact I'd throw in and also just yeah. cover us because, you know, we haven't been sued by the recent uh, people who are being sued at the moment <laughs> and want to keep it that way. Um, <laughs> Turning now, actually, I can't believe we're giving Negreanu two spots here, but like Polk Negreanu is obviously on the way now. November 4th is the deadline. Uh, they're going to play 200 hands uh, on Poker Go, cards up. Um, and so we'll get to see what is, I guess, the very, very beginning of their long conquest. But I guess they're doing it live for, for the fans. I know Doug insisted that it be available free. So that will be watchable on Poker Go. Uh, the entire 
contest will be 25,000 hands of 200-400 with 100 big blind auto top up, 40k stacks, and the loser may quit after half of the hands, 12,500 hands. One of the longest running feuds clearly in poker, and it's been good popcorn, let's be honest, for the last good while, is these two. They are going to finally square off for what is, I guess, the grudge match of I don't know the century, at least in poker. I know uh, there's been a lot of money wagered on both sides of this one. Brian, talk me through what you think is going to happen in this. Do you think the bookies line is right? I think it's around four, four and a half to one at the moment. Yeah, I think the bookies line is probably close to correct. Um, I mean, Negreanu is obviously a very intelligent person. He's obviously a very talented player. But as far as heads up experience against someone of Doug's caliber in particular, I, th I think it can be very difficult. You know, the potential edges can be very large. Um, Negreanu has showed the ability to learn other games quickly in the past. You know, he's been challenged as like sort of a live pro by the online crowd in the past. And he has shown the ability to adapt. And, you know, he's, he's definitely smarter than uh, people might be inclined to give him credit for. But um, he's, I think he is a big underdog. And we're going to have to see how it plays out, but it's going to be a very interesting match. Well, picking up on something you said there, Dara, why do you think people do doubt his abilities? You know, obviously he's one of the biggest winners of all time. He's been a dominant force in the game. He's actually been able to punch reasonably well with the highest stakes guys on, in at least in a tournament setting. Um, and I know this is different, but why do you think there is so many doubters and detractors of people like Helmuth and him these days? Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think it's, pro it, 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 again, it's, uh, it's difficult to try and say something positive about, about Daniel given our history, but, uh, <laughs> it is try, perhaps unfair because he has, he has done a very good job of, um, staying at the top. He, I mean, his game might not quite be at the super elite level, but it's not, it, it really isn't far off. And in periods in the past where he's sort of done, study gone back into the lab he has improved dramatically um and i think we will i think a lot of people will be surprised by how well he will play in this i think he will be well prepared um i think he's the kind of guy who when he applies himself to something he learned he, he he can learn it very quickly um i mean the big problem he has is he's playing against uh poke in poke's specialist subject so people are you know people have used all sorts of boxing analogies for me this is um probably the best analogies this is like mayweather versus mcgregor in in, in the sense that like negranu is an amazing fighter slash poker player overall but this is not his uh particular discipline um so i mean it'll be an amazing um story if he pulls it off and I do think he's handled the publicity run up to it very, very well. I know a lot of people who would not have been very favorable to, to, to him when it was announced who are now sort of rooting for him. So he does seem to have won the PR battle on some level as well. Uh, I, I saw a poll on Facebook actually posted by somebody who wouldn't have been a big fan of him asking, who are you for? Oh, yeah, who are you rooting for? Daniel, Daniel Negreanu or neither? Those were the only two options. <laughs> so... I think Doug has done a really bad job on the PR or maybe a really good job. Maybe he deliberately wanted to cast himself as the villain. Uh, and if so, then mission accomplished. Well, that's what I think has happened. I think he wanted to be the heel in this and, uh, and, and he sort of started firing shots at half the pros, not even heads up pros in the game. And it was very entertaining because he took some funny shots. And again, from a popcorn perspective, I guess it is like a, a, a UFC or a McGregor buildup that we're watching, which I suppose is all is all good. If it gets more eyes on poker, well, that's a, a good thing overall and actually fair play to both of them as ambassadors if they do manage to channel a lot of interest. 
Um, one of the interesting things, this is hot off the presses, as of today, early hours of this morning, so I guess it was last night for the lads given their time zone, they have now agreed that they will allow charts. They, they talked about this for like a week. Negranu dragged Polk on this topic and I was just giving in. Brian, what did you make of that? Uh, what, what that says to me is that Negranu started trying to study without him and then realized that he'd probably need the charts more than he does. <laughs> Well, that's what lots of people said. They thought actually the charts would help him more because yeah, Doug think, yeah. would have the stuff around much better. Yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent. Yeah, I mean, if I if if I was taking on a player who was much better than me, I would want all the charts in the world allowed and uh, any any possible thing else which levels out the playing field. Yeah, I know Doug was getting a bit. Uh, sore about the fact that the charts were being threatened not to be allowed because I know he put in a lot of particular study one would imagine he had different ranges he was working on depending on the kind of Negreanu who showed up and mm. you know how exploitable he thought he could be um you know exploitative he thought he could be and uh how GTO I guess or you know getting close to that he, he felt he needed to be probably not at all I, I think this could be a, a street fight but uh, what's interesting to me about this matchup is that it also kind of comes on the heels of the poker go show the Jew uh, the duel which we've seen as Fandiarian helmet playing heads up which was actually pretty entertaining TV I watched two of the three matches and Galfon challenge which obviously it's in PLO but again is heads up now heads up is pretty much a dead format online there's very little action in high stakes heads up heads ups is, is, is sort of not really as big a thing as it used to be in online poker or maybe in poker in general do you think there may be a resurgence in this game type because we're seeing these kind of mano y mano type matches there um it's hard to say really um I kind of feel like it's an academic question anyway, because even if there's a very short-term resurgence, I think the, the problem and the reason why Heads Up Died as a format is the the skill differentials are, are, are just so big now between specialists and non-specialists. So even if pe a few people try and dip their toes back in, I think they'll get eaten alive so quick that they'll uh, th they'll go back to playing whatever else um, they want to play. So, yeah, I don't... I'm not convinced there will be much of an uptick and I'm, I am convinced that even if there is an uptick, it just won't last very long. It won't be sustainable. Brian, do you think there's any future for heads up sort of grudge matches as becoming a, a big part of the poker landscape outside of the fact that they might be a big part of the entertainment side of it? Well, they certainly have to be uh, grudge matches in order to be feasible, I think, because the, the problem with heads up is when somebody has an edge, the edge can be so large that there's simply no incentive to play. And then you wind up with these situations where the best player sits at all the tables and then nobody can play unless they challenge him. And people sort of know their place on the hierarchy because, it, you know, it can be a very difficult uh, thing to play a player heads up who's better than you. So I, I do think that it, its future does lie in these sort of grudge match formats where the, the EV differential is made up for by sort of the entertainment value like we're seeing here. Mm. Well, like I said, that is going to be on Poker Go starting November 4th. Of course, November 3rd, we have a different grudge match of sorts taking place in the US. Um, we're going to see uh, either Joe Biden or Donald Trump uh, take down the election. Um, Brian, you very famously bet Trump first time round against Hillary. That was a 
sort of long shot, I guess, you know, once it got, I don't know at what point you made your, your wager, but you were certainly a big dog at the time. Although I know from talking to you, you never felt you were. We used to pass each other back and forth so many political columns and opinion pieces and things we were talking about. And I, I certainly didn't think Trump would win, but I did think it would be a lot closer. You actually thought he'd win. Do you think he's going to win this time? I do. Um, I didn't until a couple of weeks ago. I, I waited to bet until very late in the cycle this time around, but I think that the indicators, the late indicators are very much breaking towards him. Um, and I think that there's a large segment of the population that simply isn't being reached by polls. Uh, poll response rates in the late 90s were as high as 40%. Now they're down below 5%. Uh, there's just simply a, a very large percent of the population that just is not responding to the polls. So if, if you except that the polls may be flawed, which is of course something you have to accept because if you look at the polls, Biden is winning by a lot. He's winning by a historic margin or something. I, I believe it's something like seven is the RCP average for what Biden is winning in the polls, which would of course make a Trump victory all but impossible. But the wager is essentially that there's a polling, a systematic polling error that's missing a key demographic and key stakes. And the, the key demographic would be low frequency voters who have been engaged by the uh, frequent rallies that Trump does. Every time he does a rally, he, he registers everybody there. And uh, some of the statistics suggest that as many as 20, 20 to 30 percent of the rally attendants may be registered Democrats who are now coming to Trump rallies because we're sort of under a bit of a realignment, which began in 2016, where the, the middle of the country, uh, the old Democratic strongholds, you know, sort of analogous to what happened to the UK election uh, in late 2019, where all the Labour's old strongholds went conservative. We might be seeing a similar uh, sort of transformation going underway in the U.S., where the the coastal states are becoming very solidly blue, and the, the entire interior of the country is becoming red. So, uh, we're going to have to see. But I do I do believe that the indicators, other than polls, favor Trump at this point. And um, yeah, it's it's going to be a pretty much a historic polling miss if if I am right. But uh, I I do think that the times are unique enough with the you know just sort of the nature of, of polling in this day and age that it's possible. So we're, we're just gonna have to find out. Well, having you just shadow over polling data, I'm now going to refer to some that there we know they're not relevant, but uh, <laughs> we're going to hang our hats a little bit on them just for a moment at least. Well, I mean, uh, they, are, they are a data point. They are a data point, exactly. Well, look, the odds with the bookies at the moment, or at the time of recording, I actually checked them just before we came on, was Biden 2 to 5, Trump 15 to 8. Right. What was very interesting in that is I also checked the 538 poll of polls and at the time of recording, Trump is 10 in 100 to win, Biden 89 in 100 and one for the, the tie. So Dara, how do you sort of deal with that discrepancy? Brian's obviously given a very good reason why it should be much closer and the bookies are reflecting that to some degree, but they're not reflecting all the way. Yeah, the poll the, the the polls are obviously one one very big factor, and in addition to the stuff that uh, that, that Brian brought up, which I I think was all very valid, I do think that you see this in different countries where there are certain types of candidates or political parties or political positions which polls consistently underestimate, because uh, there's a certain percentage of the population that sort of supports them, but they're ashamed to admit it, and they won't actually tell a poller. Who, who they're actually going to vote for. In Ireland, that tends to be Sinn Féin. In a lot of European countries, it tends to be the far-right um, xenophobic elements. And I think in there's a, there, you can make a very strong case that in the US right now, it's Trump. So I think the polls may be underestimating. that. That's one thing. The other thing, which I think is a factor, is that it's obviously the only real data that uh, 538 are working off are the polls. So... If we were to assume uh, that all the data from the polls indicates, obviously, that they're going to win. But 
you know, he lost last time as well. I mean, he went into election day behind, essentially, uh, on 538 as well. Part of that was due to sort of systematic polling error, perhaps. But part of it is that the US system is not a popular vote system. Um, it's popular to win. the. It's possible to win the presidency without winning the popular vote, as he, in fact, did last time. He, he, he lost the popular vote by a reasonably large margin. I think this time it's muddied even more by the fact that with all the other stuff that's going on, like mail-in voting, et cetera, um, and the fact that Trump has shown willing to use any means he can to give himself any edge, including the courts, that he could possibly drag this to the courts. So I think there's a discrepancy between who they feel is going to win the election in the sense of winning the popular vote, but who will actually end up as president. Um, and I think that's factored into the, the, the betting markets. I also feel that, that the betting markets are actually the best judge in these situations because if so if the bookies get it wrong they'll they'll, they'll they'll take a bath all of the data tends to be um reflected in the betting price uh whereas uh you know the, the book is almost never get massively wrong trump was a slight dog going into the last one but he wasn't a massive dog by election day so it wasn't that big of a surprise that he won that he won but it was a huge surprise to pollsters i think he was um, about plus 400 going into election day last time which is twenty percent, but you know. that's yeah, um, yeah. Well, I guess yeah. I mean, that's pretty big, but still, it's a it's a it's a one in five chance. Uh, you know, I think people often analyze that data incorrectly in the sense that they, you know, they think twenty percent is zero percent, but it's not. I mean, if you roll a dice uh, and if it comes up a six, it's an unusual event, but it's not. Uh, it's not beyond the bounds of possibility. Absolutely. Well, as a counterpoint to this, and again, you may have a very good answer for this, Brian, but I did have a look at some of the earlier early voting because there has been record numbers of early votes. In fact, by tonight, or certainly by the time this show goes out, there will be 100 million votes already cast. Now, when you consider that at the last election, there was probably sub 140 million votes cast total, and we're still five days, four days from election day, um, that seems like an extraordinary number. Um, and yes, it just seems like there's going to be the biggest turnout of all time. Now, that could be for both sides. That could be, as you say, Trump electrifying a base, carving something out of the middle, which I think is absolutely plausible. But it also could be a uh, what is historically a democratic vote when there's a bigger vote. That is usually a teller mark for them, although, as you say, times may have changed. Um, what I was interested by was looking at this. Democrats uh, were voting 94-4 in the polling data on people who have already voted. Maybe that's more reliable, it's more like an exit poll. Maybe it's not though, maybe the same people still aren't gonna answer. Um, independents were uh, pretty chunkily for Democrats as well, 60 to 24. And then Republicans were 13% to Biden, 85 to Biden. What do you make of the, the Republicans who sort of, the moderate ones who've decided to become kind of Biden Republicans where they sort of want to reset away from Trump and then they can get back to their sort of uh, neoconservative kind of usual people they put up. I, I believe that uh, a large segment of that party has already left. I, th I think that Trump's uh, approval within the Republican Party is actually quite high. Uh, his mm -hmm. approval of independence might be where it hurts him, but his, his approval within his own party, which is actually a major indicator of why I'm predicting his reelection, is uh, even higher than Reagan. Uh, going into 1984, where he won 49 states. Now, of course, I don't predict that Trump will win 49 states. I don't think he'll even win the popular vote, as Dara alluded to. I think he's just going to win the vote in the states he needs to. Um, 
but I, I do believe that the approval rating within his own party is very high. So I think I think a poll showing that sort of result is sort of inherently suspect. One of the theories that I'm not sure is true, but is that they're going to oversample the suburban Republicans, the type of people who are more likely to be like John McCain, uh, Jeff Flake, like the neocons that that you that you they don't like Trump because of his style, you know. So they're they're more likely to be moving to Biden, but um, they're undersampling the rural Republicans and the rural Democrats. So. If, if you get a poll, you might get the right percentage of Republicans and Democrats, but if they're all suburban, they're going to be more likely to lean Biden. But if you got the same percentage of people who are all rural, they'd be more likely to lean Trump, including the Democrats. So I think that's part of the realignment that you're alluding to. There is definitely a set of suburban Republicans moving to Biden, but I, I, I would argue that they've largely left the Republican Party already in the past four years. That's really interesting. What do you make? I, I sort of wrote down a few little notes of what I kind of thought maybe the electorate in America would be thinking about going into that. And I thought, well, cons for Trump stood out to me. Well, pandemic handling, I know, Brian, you're obviously very worried about the pandemic. You're one of the earliest people I know who was raising the alarm all the way back in January. And, you know, his handling of it has been a sort of a, let's just push for herd, but not say that we're doing that. Right. Send a lot of mixed messages and try to have limited lockdown or no lockdowns at all, I suppose is what he really wants now. To a lot of people, that's a mismanagement. And I think that's a, that's a fair comment. I think a lot of people see some genuine danger now from that. Um, we actually know what Trump will do this time around. Like a lot of the, I think a lot of people thought, well, who knows what he's doing? He's an unknown quantity. And now we actually do know that he follows through on a lot of what he promised the last time around. Immigration, tax breaks for the rich, environmental stuff, you know, healthcare, education. A lot of the reasons people are upset is because he actually did what he said he would do. Um, now, that may make an equal number of people happy, but it's going to, you know, maybe concretize the opposition to him as well. Um, there have been any number of scandals. You could just, like, you know, pluck them off the top of your head, emolument scandals or whatnot. But, nonstop, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think maybe the nonstop aspect to it has almost helped him. Dara, I wanted to get you in on this. Like, when you hear about a scandal every three days, mm. they kind of just numb you, don't they? Yeah, absolutely. But I think we saw this in the last election as well, where um, for whatever reason, the scandals that, uh, that they threw out on Hillary seem to stick more. Trump seems to almost have this magical power that people just go, well, that's just Trump being Trump. Uh, and he can get away with almost anything. I mean, I, I think he famously said he could shoot somebody in the middle of Fifth Avenue and uh, his, his popularity wouldn't go down. His, his, his voters do seem more baked in and his, his, um, his base is more, um, more solid, let's say. What I would say is, though, that I think, I mean, it, 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 it's too early to say this, but it's possible there's another realignment happening, um, which we don't realize yet. Um, and that's, you know, we tend to divide politics left and right, and that's obviously the easy divide. But I think there's another divide of sort of um, moderates on both sides versus extremists on both sides. And I know quite a few um, Americans who historically would be moderate Republicans who say they can't vote for Trump this time. Um, and that seems to be, you know, when you look at people like the Lincoln Project and all those people that have left the Republican Party, that seems to be adrift. So Trump has to replace those numbers somehow. Now, they may come from the extremes. It's often the case that it's easier to get somebody across from one extreme to the other. Um, <clears throat> I have another friend who's actually the most left-wing American that I know. Um, historically, he has tended not to vote for moderate Democrats because he thinks that when the Democrats run a moderate candidate, they need to be punished. Uh, because if otherwise, they'll always run the moderate candidate. Uh, he voted for Dole, for example, against Clinton, and he said it was very easy because Dole was a moderate Republican. 
Um, therefore, he didn't he didn't have any difficulty voting for him. It's a bit different with Trump because Trump is so extreme. Uh, that I think it's difficult. Uh, I, I certainly can't imagine that friend flipping all the way over, but he might decide not to vote. And that's another thing as well. Um, so, yeah, I think if if it does turn out that this time the polls have kind of got it right and the bookies have set the line correctly and Biden does get across the line, I think it would be because um, the Democrats this time have managed to successfully appeal more to moderates on both sides. Yeah, it's definitely the only anti-Trump vote. There's not really a pro-Biden vote. Um, I would, <laughs> That's very fair. Yeah, I, I would challenge you that. I don't believe that Trump's positions are actually that extreme. I've been watching old debates and Bill Clinton's positions in the 1996 debate running as a Democratic candidate were all indisputably to the right of Trump's positions right now. Trump's positions are largely resemble a, a moderate Democrat from the 90s on, on a lot of things. Uh, and I think that's part of why he's able to appeal to that segment of their base, the working class, the people in the middle of the country who are trying to make paycheck to paycheck, you know, and they see the Democrat Party now as becoming sort of a suburbanized party where they care about these increasingly niche issues. They talk about things like Russian collusion. You know, if they just if they just talked about health care all the time, if they just talked about jobs, if they talked about all the bread and butter things that they used to talk about 20 years ago, they would crush. They would they would take Tom's space away in a, in a heartbeat. But. Uh, I, I feel like they are blinded into making a lot of missteps because of their sheer hatred of him and their inability to sort of understand his appeal. Um, they, they sort of twist it into this thing that it's really, it's really just a, a lot of his appeal is very just much in the middle of the country. It's just like, I want to make things, you know, the way that they were 20 years ago before all of your jobs were sold out and before the industrial base of the country was hollowed out. And now he's not capable of delivering on that promise, of course, but there's a reason that the message resonates and it's not necessarily an extreme message. Do you think he will put together the exact same coalition? Do you think, it, like, obviously he's had to oh, tweak God. it a little bit. He seems to have gone down with some suburban women, seems to maybe oh, yeah. picking up a little bit more black male vote. I, I don't know. How is that kind of coming out? I predict he will do worse with uh, whites and better with minorities than last time. Mm. And he's in terms of the electoral college, do you think he will win with the same map roughly? Do you think he'll take the Rust Belt? Maybe, maybe slightly less, um, but I think around the same. I don't think he's going to win substantially more than last time. And I don't, I hope it's not going to be close. I would much rather have a big Biden win than anything be close. Uh, I don't want any sort of unrest or any doubt about the outcome. I think that'd be very bad for the country. So I will be happy to lose my bet if it meant that we avoid that situation. But mm -hmm. I predict that there's going to be a win by Trump that's large enough to forestall any sort of uh, 2000 type situation where it goes into the courts or whatever. Interesting. So you'd actually sort of say he might even pick up 300 in the Electoral College. I, I think he might do similar to last time, but I think yeah. that's probably around the peak. Interesting. Well, that certainly would go against the polling data and the bookies. But, you know, Brian Paris, you were right once before. So maybe maybe you're the oracle on this stuff. We better not bet against you right now this minute. Um, OK, we're going to move on. Obviously, that's as much politics as we've ever done on this show and we probably ever will. But I do appreciate your insights. And it is sort of the eve of all of this going down. So I, I figured it's, it's on people's minds. Uh, lockdown poker. This is what we're going to end with because I, I sort of figure, again, you're a really good person to talk to on this. You did sound the alarm really early on. You did your own quarantine, I know, with your family way before they were imposed. Um, and that was very responsible. As it pertained to poker, even though, you know, obviously the circumstances are terrible, it certainly helped online poker. It created a boom that we haven't had in the game for half a decade or probably a full decade really, but certainly getting back to the kind of years that were possible five, six years ago, which was, you know, great for us professionally, even if again, um, the circumstances were not good with the probable, with the probability of another lockdown and therefore the probability of another boom, 
all through the next few months. Darren, I'm really interested to get both your takes um, on, do you think the sites now knowing what's coming can do a better job? Yeah, I think they can. To be fair, I think the sites responded pretty quickly. Um, I mean, initially, okay, the thing was just like, okay, let's increase all the guarantees on all our nightly games and ride that way for as long as it lasts. And that was never going to be sustainable. I think over the course of the this period, what, what we have seen is since the new players are coming from uh, the live arena, the online experience, let's say, has to mimic that more. So you're not going to get guys coming on and playing the big 11 every night just because they have more time on their hands. Uh, what you have to do is sort of build towards big events. So stuff like the Unibet Open, all the, all the series made events that they're running, whatever, or, you know, stuff that actually has resonance live, like the WSAP uh, obviously went very well for GG, WPTs on party, Unibet Opens. And, and and these then become special events because I think that is kind of the the live player mindset. They don't necessarily want to play every night um, or even five nights a week, but they will play a couple of satellites to a big event which comes up uh, once every month or two, and then they'll have the experience of the big event and that's sort of their their fix for a while. I think the sites have kind of realised that now and. They have geared their uh, schedules more towards that. Plus, they're also doing what they can in other areas to try and replicate the experience of live. In you know, whether it's have the commentary uh, on Twitch, live on Twitch, um, or some sites, you know, identifying who, who who the players actually are, so you know who you're playing against. So I think that's a big thing for live players. They like to know who they're playing against. They they don't they don't want to look at a string of numbers uh, in a username and have no idea who that person is. So I think those are the things which the poker sites um, have to take on board. But for the most part, I think they are taking it on board. Um, and I am pretty confident that they will handle uh, this, um, this, this, this forthcoming boom um, a bit better than the last one. Well, Brian, to ask you sort of the same question in a slightly different way, I suppose one of my concerns was that we weren't minding the ecosystem in its entirety, we were sort of allowing players to maybe like go through their roles a bit too quickly if they were people who just came back to the game. Are there measures that sites can take to sort of slow down the attrition or to, you know, like, for example, like getting rid of re-entries might for a start do something. Have you any ideas of that nature? I think it would be prudent for a lot of sites to get rid of re-entries, but the problem is there's sort of a race to the bottom where once one site allows re-entries, everyone starts to want to do it because then they can kind of tax a player pool as quickly as possible. Um, but yes, it's, it's a delicate balance to be struck and I'm not sure where the right answer is because obviously sites do want to expand their offerings during a time of lockdown because they, in anticipation of new players coming in. And I think that the real name tours and the online coverage is a very good thing. We need to expand that. I think that's great. Um, you know, anything that makes it feel like more of a big event, any sort of uh, marketing stuff they can put on these events to make them feel more like big live events is a very good development for poker. But um, yeah, as, as far as the uh, re-entries thing goes, is definitely a, a difficult sort of prisoner's dilemma the sites are locked in, I think, because as, as long as any site is going to allow re-entries, they're going to have an advantage over their competitors. And, you know, in practice, players do take advantage of it, even if it, it is bad for the ecosystem in the long term. So uh, I, I don't know if we're going to see too much progress on that front in the near future, but I hope that the sites can come up with a good balance to find a way to uh, have su a sustainable ecosystem with a larger player pool for a little bit. Yeah, it is a huge concern to think that people may be returning to the game or people who are just Sunday warriors who may normally do 100 books on a Sunday and 
maybe on average you get 70 or 80 of it back are suddenly put in a situation where they're playing too many nights of the week for that to be sustainable they run through their budgets and then it becomes quite distasteful maybe after doing a grand they go I'm done with poker now actually fed up and they were somebody who might have been in the game for you know decades so yeah I'm I'm worried about that and, and I know on Unibet one of the big things we did was these rake-free home games and I'm expecting them to be kind of uh, there to be a surge on them again they kind of got quieter during the summer as you would expect people were outside again and uh, I, I think as the, the the next few weeks roll past and lockdowns become more prevalent obviously Dara's in one already and I'm not in Malta um, we're going to see people looking for more poker to pass the time. And, and yeah, I hope that maybe measures like that will be good ways of doing customer acquisition so that from the site's point of view, they still feel like they're doing something that's good for their shareholders or good for their bottom line in the long run, but is also maybe much healthier. Yeah, definitely. That, that'd be ideal. Getting these people in who are, you know, you want people to be during lockdown and they'll play online poker in a sustainable way so that they, you know, get, get a taste for it. And then they keep coming back once conditions return to normal. That's that's the ideal situation. And hopefully we can reach that as much as possible. Yeah, I, I think one thing which sort of um, speaks to making it more like the live experience is the resurgence online of satellites, um, which we've seen this year. A lot of recreational players, you know, they don't really want to play the big 11 and big 22 every night until their money is gone. Um, it's not necessarily a great experience for them. Um, maybe they get very lucky and they bink along the way, but even then it's 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 really not that big a deal to them. Um, whereas, you know, they, they're happier to put a certain amount of money on and play satellites for some big event that's coming up, uh, be that a Unibet Open, a WPT, WSAP, whatever. And if they get in, great. Um, you know, they might cash and then they're definitely in profit. Um, and if they don't, well, they've had the experience, um, which is kind of the way they approach live as well. You know, they'll 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 play satellites to live events and then they'll play the live event itself if they get in. Then they'll maybe take a period off and then they'll start thinking about the next one they want to play. So I think the sites have kind of recognized that and we have seen a resurgence of satellites this year, um, which is obviously a good thing. The other thing I would say in terms of sort of long-term ecosystem sustainability if you are going to sort of try and get people who play every night uh, or five nights a week or whatever for their deposits to last longer one of the biggest um, pluses for the online ecosystem as a whole in the in the last few years has been sort of the the, the rise of pkos because um typically recreational players do their deposits do last longer uh, if they play pkos because every time they knock somebody out they get they, they get some immediate money back um now, a lot of the players who have come in in the last few months are guys who haven't played online to any large degree uh, in years. So they, they, they sort of stopped playing online before PKOs really became a big thing. And they're often quite reluctant to even try this new format um, because it just seems a new weird format for them. What I would say to those players is at least just try a few. Um, I think, you know, you might not enjoy them. You might go back to play, playing the old ones. But I think a lot of recreational players find when they do enjoy them, when they do... Um, try them they actually enjoy them a lot and actually that makes the online experience far more entertaining for them as a whole as well a lot of the things which live players hate about online um like you know long periods of, of very little action stalling on money bubbles um all, all these things that a, a lot of those things actually go away with pkos you know you're not incentivized to stall it on in a pko you really want to just kind of run your stack up so you can you can uh, you can start taking bounties again um, and, and, there, and, and there's more action at every stage of the tournament, which I think appeals to recreationals. 
That's amazing, Dara. Satellites and PKO, would you say, uh, in that one segment? That was, uh, that was, that was, <laughs> yeah, I, I, the, the PKO one was a difficult stretch. I, I, satellites were easy, um, but I had to think how am I going to, to wedge PKOs. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's worth, it's worth noting that Barry Carter has written two really excellent books on, uh, on, on, on these subjects. Satellites. Are they over your left shoulder there, Dara? So they are, yeah, yeah. They're books. Barry Carter and some other guy wrote those books. So, um, if, if, if you're fresh to the scene, if you haven't played satellites in years and you want to refresh a course on the thing, uh, you can buy Barry's book. Um, and if you want to try PKOs, definitely buy Barry's book. Absolutely shameless. Brian, have you anything to plug? It seems only fair. Uh, yeah, just check out my Twitch stream, uh, twitch.tv slash vparispoker. Also my YouTube channel. We're going to have some new YouTube videos coming out of the heater from this year, making some videos about the recent scores now. So, uh, And then also my Twitter account. Those are the three big places that I am active. So just check me out on those three. And uh, yeah, hopefully I'll see you on my next Twitch stream. Yeah, you certainly will, Brian. I do tune into your Twitch streams often, and, and I do appreciate the fact that you do like to uh, turn them on when it's already getting interesting, maybe two tables out rather than having to oh, grind yeah, the whole thing. Good, right? That's, that's a good system. <laughs> Guys, thank you so much. Uh, obviously, it's going to be an exciting few days. We're going to find out who's right and who's wrong and who's guessed right and who's made a few quid and maybe who's lost a few quid. But look, I really appreciate having both of you on and getting your opinions on all of these topics from poker to the US election Good night, guys. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Have Thanks, a good one. Thanks, Brian. Yeah.